This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Katie Boyle speaks with Annie Agle, Senior Director of Impact and Sustainability at Coda Paxi. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the Impact Report. My name is Katie Boyle. I'm the Director of Enrollment, Marketing, and Partnerships with Bard College's Graduate Programs in Sustainability, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be speaking here today with Annie Agle of Cotopaxi. For those of you who are not familiar with the brand, Cotopaxi is a carbon-neutral outdoor gear brand founded to create sustainably designed products that fight extreme poverty, inspire adventure, and move people to do good. In her role as Senior Director of Sustainability and Impact, Annie Agle steers Cotopaxi's giving corporate responsibility and sustainability. She oversees Cotopaxi's reporting and certifications like GRI, B Corp, and Carbon Neutral, as well as its ESG strategy. With her team, Annie aims to ensure that every aspect of Cotopaxi's brand is leveraged to generate positive benefit to society and the communities the brand touches. Welcome to the Impact Report, Annie. Thanks for having me, Katie. I'm proud to be here. Excited. We're looking forward to the conversation today. So let's let's dig right in. Um, the outdoor apparel industry is quite a crowded market these days, and there are many brands that are seeking to differentiate themselves in various ways, some through sustainability, some through other avenues. And Cotopaxi is a relative newcomer in the outdoor space. Um, I actually live in a ski town in Colorado, and it's now everywhere, which I find incredibly impressive given how new the brand is. So can you tell us um, how Cotopaxi has set itself apart from others in the industry and already built a very loyal following. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can take very little credit. I think for our brand growth, there's a lot of really brilliant cooks in that kitchen. And I think that's really a testament to our product teams, to our community teams, to our leadership. I think it's it's been a lot of hands that have helped contribute to the growth. Um, just from the impact side in terms of maybe how we've differentiated ourselves and really tried to leverage our brand to make a difference. Um, I think one is just really honing in on motives. One of the things that I see that occurs a lot in the sustainability space from, from bigger, maybe capital C capitalism sort of partners is that, you know, the tactics are put before the motives. I think at Cotopaxi, I feel really blessed to work with the leadership that, you know, Davis and Stefan, our two co-founders really founded the company as a sustainable means of alleviating and addressing extreme poverty in our lifetimes. And so everything is sort of viewed with how it's going to help us deliver that mission. And I think that internal alignment around a sort of ethical call to action to adjust extreme inequality really, and it is inequality that we're really talking about here, um, is, is a differentiator. I'd also say in the outdoor industry, the environment and environmental call to arms, which we definitely treat as very important, um, but that's not our mission. Our mission is really around people. And I'd say in terms of how we see ourselves, we see ourselves as part of a really incredible group of peers. I think the outdoor industry in general is a leader in terms of ethics for industries. And we're proud to share, share ranks with people like Patagonia, like North Face. They're doing great work. Um, and we sort of see Patagonia as the benchmark. We really want to be the bridge. We want to be the bridge 
that helps modern society reconnect with the outdoors, but also links its responsibility back as customer citizens to thinking the uh, thinking about the ethical considerations of their products and leveraging those sales to address inequalities and help redistribute wealth in responsible ways. Excellent, thank you for that that backstory. And it's really inspiring to hear kind of the origins of the founding of the company and and the focus Cotopaxi puts on people. To your point, I think often we in when we talk about sustainability we often think of environmental sustainability first. And so when, when companies are centering both planet and people, we see you know, greater impact and a, a mission that can resonate with a broader audience, right? That's, that's a lot of what we do here at BARD also, where I would say social justice and social sustainability is, has an equal footing to how we think about sustainability with economic sustainability and financial or um, environmental sustainability as well. That's great. Yeah, I, I do think it's important. And it's, it's something like that foundational definition of sustainability that got shared out in the Brundtland report, um, you know, around it really being intergenerational about us meeting the needs of today's generation while enabling future generations to meet their needs as well. That intergenerational kind of baton passing, I think, has gotten lost in translation, I think, in America around this ESG movement. And to your point, if you're not considering human societies and the ways in which they operate, the complexities of the systems at play, you could end up doing more damage um, than good if you're not really thinking in terms of systems. And so we we think the same way about the environment. We can't call ourselves like a, a socially minded organization if we're not considering things like environmental justice or the negative impacts we have as a company on the environment because we know climate change is now one of the leading causes if not the leading cause of extreme poverty. So, you know, I, I think you need to think holistically and that, that's kind of the advice I sort of give, whether you're talking about professionals or companies. That's great to hear your, your teaching to that too. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. I think we, we have some solid mission alignment, which we always love to see when we're talking with folks on, on the impact report here. Um, I want to actually stick on this topic for a minute and, um, and talk about your, um, you know, how you all are operating. So you all are a, a certified B corporation. And as such, Cotopaxi believes that using the power of business as a force for social, environmental, and economic good is kind of a core operating principle, like you were just saying. Um, your motto is gear for good, and it's said to touch every aspect of the company. So can you, you've started to touch on it a little bit, but can you elaborate on, on how it does touch all aspects of the company? Sure, and I'm the first to admit, like, we're, growth has been phenomenal for our company, as you mentioned. It also means that we're a different company every six months. And so I would say, saying we're always sort of rewiring and building on our foundations. Um, and to companies out there, like, I get it, growth, growth can be challenging for sustainability. Um, but I think what we've tried to do as an impact team um, is democratize and evolve over time. And I think that too often sustainability and ESG is operating from these ivory towers that are not really connected to the realities, not just of everyday employees, but of everyday people. Um, and you can't come up with these strategic visions or these metrics or reporting frameworks that just live in your, your high tower. They're kind of dead pieces of documentation there and they never become living solutions that are actually getting the work that needs to get done 
um, within a pretty urgent time frame for us to have a good future. And so one of the things that I feel really passionate about is sort of interweaving KPIs from the B Corporation impact assessment into different teams. There's no way sustainability isn't touching every single role. And I think that's something that we really emphasize at Cotopaxi is I never wanted this massive team of analysts where all we do is really reporting and transparency work. We really wanted every employee to be able to make decisions always using sustainability as one of the lenses with which they're using. And so, you know, one story I have that just goes to show, you know, there's no way as a sustainability officer, I can be in every meeting making every choice for our company. And if I tried to do that, I'd be a tyrant, right? Like that's just not, that's not the ethical way of going around this from a political or philosophical standpoint. But um, I had a supply chain manager reach out to me around a year, year and a half after I'd been at Cotopaxi to say, hey, uh, we had an entire shipment of waterlogged insulation down and we can't sell it. It's damaged for that, but it's still pretty good. But our insurance company is insisting that we light it on fire, incinerate it and show proof of destruction. That's how most closed companies get insurance claim backs is literally you just light that stuff on fire. And it's not even part of a pyrolysis where you're getting some of the energy back from the inputs. Like it's just pure destruction. Um, and so we actually reached out to our logistics provider at the time, Flexport, and they're a massive logistics team, right? They do shipping and um, logistics for, for billions and billions of dollars annually. And we reached out and said, hey, we just, this is not in line with our sustainability. Um, my supply chain manager brought this to my attention and Flexport was able to work with an alternative insurer provider to accept proof of donation as opposed to proof of destruction. And so just that small thing allowed Flexport then to offer that as an option to any apparel company using, um, you know, open that basically to all of their companies so that they could also claim um, proof of donation as opposed to destruction. And so that was just one employee in our company who really facilitated this massive snowball impact that has now probably saved millions of tons of apparel cargo from being incinerated. And so I think having the kind of open door organization where every employee understands that they need to be thinking through the ethical not just um, choices, but opportunities that they have to make us a better company. And I think every role brings their whole selves to bear on this. And that's how you really meet your mission. You can't meet your mission by just having one dedicated team to this. The whole company needs to be leveraged. That's, that's an incredible story. And I've I only recently started to learn about the burning of excess materials as part of how, how the apparel industry operates and was just, you know, absolutely devastated to hear that that's a process. We actually have students in the program thinking about how they, how they can overhaul that, but also, um, you know, just picking up your point on how you have sustainability embedded throughout throughout the program or throughout your your organization and every single team member is empowered to lead on sustainability and innovate on sustainability. I wanna I wanna just recognize the impact of that. We that's what we teach here at Bard. We're one of the only business schools that actually bakes sustainability into a core business curriculum. And we hope that when students come out of the program, they get to work for companies like Cotopaxi, or they get to help lead um, the change for those companies into that kind of operational structure where sustainability 
touches everybody's role and everyone's empowered. So we love we love to hear these stories of companies who have figured it out, who are, you know, who are paving the way. So thank you for sharing that um, that with us. Touching on your growth, um, on the growth comments we made a little bit earlier. Um, We'd love to hear about what, you know, it's it's such a wild time economically with, with many different projections going on in terms of where the economy is going. What are you all looking at for your growth projections and, and what kind of impact do you think that'll have on the sustainability front? I think we've always recognized that Cotopaxi's biggest impact is going to come from our demonstration that conscious capitalism actually works and works at scale and works through growth. I think that we know that we're, we never aspire to be like the next gap or the next H&M, right? We, there is this inflection point where I think big is too big. And so I think we want to show that we can maintain sustainability through high growth. And that feels like an experiment. I think we're doing really well right now. And I think we worked really hard kind of counting on very heavy growth to implement the kind of processes that should scale with time. Um, and, you know, we're taking steps, for example, right now to wire natural capital costs into our product pricing. And that feels pretty new to us where we're actually trying to evaluate and consider the inherent value that comes from nature that goes into our products and any products. That feels like something that should have been happening for a decade, but hasn't been happening at all. And so that feels significant where we're kind of considering the price of truly offsetting, you know, offsets with additionality, not just kind of goofy math. Mm -hmm. um, and we're kind of honoring, frankly, the, the resources that we're taking from, from the planet. And so I think there are aspects like that, that we're really trying to consider growth, but it's still challenging. We've been challenged around margin. I think supply chains were a very small player. And even with our impact report, we, we kind of put our foot down with some of the nonsense that we were seeing around human rights. And we were just saying as an apparel company, there is no way we can guarantee that human rights are being um, protected across our entire value chain. We assume that abuses are happening and we work backwards from that place of believing that these things are happening and how we can discover and right those wrongs. Um, and so I think that the positions that we've taken around topics, hopefully they scale with us, but I do think it's a question, right? There's, there's so many worthy debates happening around growth and degrowth and how you, you know, uncouple the aspects of growth that sort of lead to sort of ruinous um, waste and destruction. And that feels new and hard. And so it's hard every day. We're trying to figure that out. And I think that sustainability, as we become even better around things like measurements around carbon accounting, which is definitely very imperfect. It's a very imperfect science right now. As society sort of grapples with this in terms of systems, every year the sustainability itself is evolving. So the number of things that we're considering, whether it be adding on water use and biodiversity loss, like there's always more we need to get to. Um, and it is a challenge. And so for people who are, you know, kind of look up to us, it's like everyone has their role to play. We're just trying to play the role. We don't know what that totally adds up to and it changes every day. So um, I think having that humility along with that sense of urgency is I think what's gonna set us up for success ultimately. Super interesting to hear about 
the work you're doing to integrate natural capitalism pricing into your product. It's something that um, one of our professors actually sort of literally wrote the book on natural capitalism, um, I think 20 plus years ago, but I would love to have you back on once you all figure that out and to hear how it goes. Because I think one of the interesting things about Cotopaxi, when I look at your price points as a consumer, is it feels accessible still. Many outdoor products are you know, just incredibly expensive. And you seem to have found a way to keep, to embed sustainability um, without, you know, going over, overboard on pricing. So it'd be interesting to hear both how you succeed in natural capitalism valuation in your, in your price points, but then also how you're managing to maintain, uh, you know, a reasonably accessible piece of outdoor gear. And thanks for mentioning that. And I can't take credit for that. Our chief product officer, Karen McKenna, has done such a phenomenal job since day one, sort of considering price points. But we also think that outdoor companies needed to be more realistic about what the average price point people could pay for. I mean, just the expense of accessing publicly held land parcels in the form of national parks or national forests is like, you can't buy most of those those really technical gear. And we've always been a bit concerned. I think we we want to try to be uh, the kind of outfitter that allows everyday people to get outside, not, you know, kind of really core climbers or whatever, or just super wealthy people, but everyday people, everyday American citizens who have a right to to make use of the public lands we hold in this country. And I think that price accessibility needed to be considered giving our focus on poverty. Um, and we also think that some of the technical outerwear pieces out there, they just come from chemistries, from, from technical materials that are uh, still needed. I think there's a place for those products, but it's very, very hard to make those products sustainable um, in terms of environmental or social impacts. The chemistry, especially involved with that, the waterproofing, the weaving of the fabrics, the taking of the polyester and the petrochemical based materials and, and making a, a very high grade waterproof jacket, for example, is, man, there's a lot of social and environmental impacts associated with that. So I think that there's, there's something like that, that we were like, I just don't think most people need hard shells all the time. Um, everyday people just want to be able to wander, to be explored, to reconnect with their, their habitat. And, you know, we can do that in ways with less technical gear that's made from fabrics that would otherwise end up in landfill waste, et cetera. Um, and that's definitely been our approach is that we want to keep as, ourselves as price accessible as possible. I was just reflecting on that today on a, on a completely different thought topic, but thinking about gearing my family up for backpacking and just what a privilege it is to be able to afford that kind of gear and how inaccessible that is to so many um, Americans, but people globally also. So really appreciate the, the emphasis you're placing on that um, and, and the service that provides the broader community in connecting with um, in connecting with outdoors and nature and, and finding a sense of place there as well. Um, and I do think there's some great players too, just to give a shout out to people like REI who are providing rental programs. I think the resale and e-commerce market is fantastic. Rental is great. But again, to your point, it's very intimidating. It's very costly to get outside. So we're, we're trying to think about that critically. Absolutely. For a reason, for a free resource, it is, it can be very inaccessible sometimes. So love, love to hear that. Um, so one of Cotopaxi's commitments is to make, is to make all of your gear 
um, using repurposed, recycled, or responsible materials by 2025. And that's three years away. So can you tell us how you're doing on that goal? Yep, we're 94% to goal, and we are anticipating wow. that we will get to 100% by 2025. Um, I think where we go from there is interesting. And I will say, like, we felt very strongly in 2020 that, you know, the linkage between, say, biodiversity loss, the link between that and zoonoses and COVID-19. I mean, COVID-19 really comes from, from mismanagement of biodiversity in nature. Um, topics. So I think we felt very strongly that year that we just we had to take the step to be climate neutral. And we just felt like the 20, uh, the 2050 deadline was just not what science was saying we needed to be at. And we also felt very strongly as a company that these sort of empty pledges were just not where we totally wanted to be. Um, as a smaller company, we felt like we could hold ourselves to a much more urgent um, today is better than tomorrow kind of deadline. And so I, I will say that like beyond materials, which obviously enables that, there's no way we could afford to offset that or even to, to my, just around my ethics. I think there's a kind of point that until you've made as many reductions as you can, that's really where your emphasis needs to be. Um, and then once you've kind of had that reduction mindset, then offsetting. And so we took that step in 2020. And I think there is that link between us, between taking responsibility for every thing that we can't manage through through better, um, more circular materials choices. Super interesting to hear that. And that's, it actually reminds me, our, um, a few years ago, a team of our MBA students participated in Patagonia's pitch case competition, pitch competition, and, um, and they actually um, placed second outranking students from much more well-known business schools. And their proposal to Patagonia was to stop making new things. And um, and so that very much resonates with with the work you're doing, and you're finding a way to do it well ahead of some of these other brands. So that's really um, you know ultimately um, you know going to be a trailblazer for the industry and in thinking about how how we can move towards a more circular economy. Yeah. We're trying. I still think there's a lot to figure out. Um, I think we're we're working with some studies around stakeholder groups on what is really going to take to get kind of true end of life circularity going in America and what does responsible waste reduction look like and resale re-commerce is definitely a bit some of these new recycling technologies that use this enzyme to say kind of break down poly uh, cotton blends like everything's going to have a, a role including downcycling donation like responsible donations that kind of thing it's a, it's a tough nut to crack though it's a tough nut to crack we're trying to be a trailblazer but I don't think we feel like that I think it's um there there are some great players out there and I'm actually great that you know around this stuff we don't have competitors we only have collectors collaborators. Um, and so props to Patagonia, props to Arcteryx. Like we've worked with some great people in the outdoor industry, just thinking about how we can do re-commerce. It's hard. And I think that's, you know, uh, I think you all are being humble too. I think that's a sign of a trailblazer. And so also somebody who is authentic about the sustainability of the work they're doing when you're honest about how much more work you have to do. But, um, but you're still pushing the bounds on a regular basis in terms of what what's been done before and, and demonstrating what can be done. So really inspiring to see. Um, 
you touched on it a little bit, so maybe we can hop into, into um, the climate pledge. So we just wrapped up climate week um, a few weeks ago, and in that, Cotopaxi joined the climate pledge, which in doing so has you joining more than 375 other organizations in pledging to reach the Paris Agreement 10 years early and be net zero by 2040. So congratulations on that, and also thank you for making that commitment. Um, can you tell us why this part of sustainability was important to Cotopaxi? I think for us as a smaller company, we feel that we can and should be a first mover. And so one is we, we know, again, getting back to that understanding of where we can have the biggest impact. Um, Cotopaxi is not a large multinational enterprise, right? We're, we're a medium rapidly growing one, but we definitely have an SME mindset. Um, and we think that SMEs need to be the first movers. Some of these bigger behemoth companies, like they're, and a lot of them are doing real work. Like that line between greenwashing and real sustainability work, I feel like is not as black and white as a lot of customers or even policymakers want to think. Um, but I think that by being the first mover, we can be a case study for bigger groups and we can also help hold capitalism accountable when it says it's not possible to do this. We want to be like, yes, it is. It is possible. It is absolutely possible to do things like natural capital costing. It is absolutely possible to be climate neutral today. Um, there are partners out there that make this possible. And I do think our measurements get better over like year over year. So for example, right now, I think one of the commitments that's baked in with um, the TCP is that, you know, you be net zero in all greenhouse gases, but we currently as an industry don't have much way of measuring, say, methane emissions. And methane emissions in general, according to some of the new studies that have come out around uh, what machine learning is telling us about how inaccurate our measurements of methane, you know, they're suggesting a great article in Nature was suggesting um, that we've been underestimating methane emissions by up to 70% just in America. Like that's terrifying. Uh -huh. So yeah. I do think that Cotopaxi needs to be working with these bigger partners to address those issues. Like we're a very small minnow in the shark pond that is capitalism. And we, we like to punch above our weight, but I also think that we are gonna be dependent on some of the technologies and investment that bigger players can can make and so for things around say green hydrogen or pink hydrogen or electrifying whole shipping fleets like we cannot make those research and development investments but i also think that we can be the case profile for some of these bigger companies to go through those things as a, as a smaller firm and, be, and become their kind of pilot study and so i think that that's where active collaboration around things like TCP can really help move the needle forward is where you were kind of bringing ourselves fully forward to the work to be, to be that first mover, to be the tester, but also to help kind of validate the need um, for the 95% of companies that are small to medium sized enterprise that they have an important role to play um, while also just helping to hopefully create the urgency for larger companies to make the investments that are needed to really get our society where it is going to be self-sustaining for many generations. Really interesting to hear how you're <clears throat> using the Climate Pledge in this, in this work to collaborate with companies and to innovate and to, and to help 
pave the way for, for the bigger brands and recognizing the symbiotic relationship here almost, right? That you all can, they can develop the technology, you can show them that it will work, then they can take it and apply it at a much larger scale and hopefully to scale the impact collectively that we need to make on reducing um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. I'd love to pivot um, into actually like your day-to-day -day work a little bit. So we're the business of training future sustainability leaders. So we always love to hear about what, what that actually looks like and, and our students and alumni love to hear that as well. So can you talk about some of your day-to-day -day responsibilities in your position and how your team um, fits into the broader ecosystem of the company, especially when you, as you say, everybody at Cotopaxi is empowered to to lead on sustainability. Yeah, so I sort of see my work as like, I'm the compass. I'm sort of the uh, in-house Jiminy Cricket kind of thing. And so I'd say, I really try to reserve as much as 50% of my time for cross-functional meetings and cross-functional work. And 50% of my time, I'd say of that 25% of my time is spent doing strategy, looking out on the horizon, thinking about what comes next, thinking about for the problems and aspects of our operations that feel sort of out of alignment, how we're gonna close that gap over, the, over time. Um, and then I'd say 25% of my time is spent doing more uh, nitty gritty, like the actual work, which I enjoy nerding out on, which is reporting frameworks, uh, things like our B Corporation impact assessment and verifications, our GRI report, kind of meeting with investors as well and various stakeholder members, whether they be suppliers or value chain operators outside of um, our like, you know, tier one or tier two and really helping them, understanding from them um, what needs to get done. I, I see that as like my quarter protected, I go and listen sort of time where I really sort of go get feedback, gather data and information from our value chain to always sort of have an ongoing picture of who we are as a company and what the next step for us is going to be and what does the next step sort of look like in terms of um, growth and how we need to make sure, you know, where, where are the risks that growth poses to our sustainability and how are we going to mitigate that? Really interesting to hear how you block your time and make sure that you're dedicating time to thinking about some of these things. I think so often we can get into the, you know, into the, just the daily grind and the weeds. And when, um, and I, I'm glad to hear you speak about that. It speaks so much to our students who will also need to do that as they come through the program and they they move into their careers that, that the ability to spend time understanding the long, um, you know, the lay of the land, doing the research, innovating is, is a really key part of actually moving the needle on a lot of these initiatives. Um, and on that note, you know, this is kind of a, um, a last minute question. I would just love to hear um, how you got to where you got in this role. And if you have tips for aspiring sustainability student or professionals. Oh my gosh. I would say um, I sort of tripped and fell and aimed my fall in this direction without this sort of field <laughs> having a name yet. Uh, so I think it's been a great blessing that I, I felt like I got to be mentored by some of the OG movers on the sustainability movement, especially in the sort of corporate sustainability movement, which has been around, I think, since the 70s. We don't like to acknowledge that. I think that that's not acknowledged by, say, millennials. They think we invented it. We did, definitely <laughs> did not. There were some really great movers and shakers um, out of the environmental movement, 60s and 70s. Um, and I think some great work was done and some really good foundational work. 
Um, so I kind of got to come up in New York around those topics. I actually started in the development space working for NGOs. And I think I just sort of saw how broken the resource kind of chain was during that process. I think there were a lot of people who were doing great on the groundwork, but who just had no means of bridging their day-to-day -day reality um, with the resource providers and also extractors um, from, from the kind of higher echelons of power and resource choices. And I, I sort of set out to be a bridge between those two stakeholder groups. Um, I felt that that was sort of my place um, in this field. And I think one piece of advice that I always give to sustainability students is they, as you understand, and I'm sure as they understand by being your student, sustainability is not a finished field. It's not like a CPA or a CFA. It's, mm -hmm. it's under evolution. It's highly contested. It, there's great differences in its interpretation and its execution based on country, based on culture, based on stakeholder interest group, right? There's a lot of division and um, debate in the field. And being very clear with yourself about where you fit in that and where you can make the most impact, where you can be a service. It's, I think it's a different career path in the sense that you need to be thinking about how you're showing up for the work and what's your value add and putting a kind of mission statement in place for that. And I think that that's, that's important. And then I'd also say to students, you know, making sure that you have relevant skill sets and focusing on skill set acquisition that's going to make you a value, not just make you hireable or employable for something on a uh, resume that definitely helps practically of having some of those certifications, but really sort of understanding who the most important players are in a particular field that you're in, understanding the biggest risks. Um, that you may pose in any role, understanding that or whatever organization you're playing more, what is the risks associated with how they're operating today? Um, and then that self-education piece. I think that that's one thing that has served me really well throughout my career is um, having the humility and making the time to continue to educate myself. You cannot be an expert in every swim lane and sustainability. That's not possible. I mean, claiming to be an expert at sustainability for me is like claiming to be an expert at being a good person. That's a really complex undertaking and how you evaluate that, how you think about it qualitatively versus quantitatively is challenging. And so I think getting really humble about where your limitations are, what biases you might be bringing in, what um, your strengths are both ethical and professional to bear to these things and being quite critical with yourself on that. And then always having that sort of active curiosity to go read papers, sit in on webinars, um, go pursue ongoing education, go get trained in, in certifications, go understand things, go um, make time to volunteer with organizations. Um, so I think that kind of thing is really important in our space. Edu continuing education is incredibly important. Absolutely. It's such a it's such a fast evolving field, like you're saying. And you know, what what's true today is not true tomorrow. And we've learned something new. And um, I think that's that's a such a key piece of advice. And also loved what you said about 
um, leaning into your aptitude and your skills and what you can bring to the table. We end up with students coming through our program who range. They We've got ballet dancers and we've got hedge fund managers and public school teachers and engineers and artists and the list goes on. And, you know, we often hear from students, you know, am I, can I do business school? Can I do sustainability? This is my background. And we, we have the conversation over and over and over again with, with aspiring sustainability professionals that we need everybody in this game, in this field with what they're good at and they can bring that to the table. And there is, there's an opportunity to, like you're saying, you all have done a Cotopaxi where everybody's in charge of sustainability to some degree. You know, there's an opportunity to weave that into every role. Um, and that's, that's ultimately the end goal, right? Where nobody has the chief sustainability officer title, but it's just how we how we run businesses. So maybe some someday down the road, that will be a goal we hit. But um, I wanna thank you so much for your time today, Annie. This has been an awesome conversation, just inspiring to hear the work you're doing and also really appreciate the wisdom you've imparted for, for our listeners. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for the great work you're doing as educators and I wish your students all the best. We appreciate our Loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot on Instagram and tag Impact Report Podcast. Learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode by visiting CodaPaxi.com. That's C-O-T-A-P-A-X-I.com. And be sure to head to GreenBiz.com or ImpactEntrepreneur.com to read a recap of our conversation. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, December 2nd. We'll be speaking with Oliver Libby of HL Ventures. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industries. Visit gps.bard.edu resources today.